0: It is great to have everybody today as we have come together to worship and to celebrate the name of Christ. Uh, if you remember, we were in a series last week, uh, it ended the series, we were looking at Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23, and specifically it was entitled um, "It was entitled Spirit-Filled Evangelism, uh, which basically was the idea that if you are truly spirit-filled, you'll have a heart to reach out to the lost. I will tell you that next week I'll be starting a new series, and some would say that this is just kind of a fill uh, sermon, but actually it's what I would call a bridge sermon. My goal is to connect what we talked about over this last series, specifically to where we're going as a church. Have you ever been around someone who was really good at starting something, but not so good at finishing it? It can happen in a lot of different ways. It might be in cleaning, like when you send your kids to their room to clean up, and they start off so well for the first three minutes. And then for whatever reason, they become distracted by something else. They see a toy that they haven't played with in forever. They actually just lay on their bed sometimes. But the point is, they start well, but they don't always finish well. Or maybe it has to do with building or renovating. I'm going to blame my wife for this one. Uh, Is she in here? All right, I'm going to blame my wife for this one. Right after we bought our house in Delaware, my wife decided that she did not like the wallpaper in our bathroom. I knew that I didn't have time to actually fix it, but she was tired of it already, so she just decided one day to remove the wallpaper in the bathroom. The problem is, when she began to remove the wallpaper in the bathroom, she found another layer of wallpaper underneath, and then another layer of wallpaper underneath that, and she eventually got all the wallpaper off, and she ran out of time. I will tell you that, and I'm almost embarrassed to say it, but it took seven years before we finally got our bathroom completed. And it looked really good after the seven years because we were so tired of it looking the way it had for seven years. Sometimes it's good to start something, but if you cannot finish it, you can actually make things worse along the way. Another example of starting well but not finishing well is seen in the way that we handle our Christian faith. We start off well, but somewhere along the way something happens that causes us to back off. And before you get all super spiritual and suggest that this is something that's just typical of this generation. It never would have happened in my generation. You should know that people struggled with this all the way back to the times of Jesus Christ. On one occasion, Jesus had a man who offered to follow him. He wanted to be Jesus's disciple, but Jesus cautioned him. It's funny because you would have expected Jesus to just say, oh yeah, come on, come come, follow me. But instead, Jesus cautions him. He basically was telling him that you shouldn't start this if you're not willing to finish it. Jesus says, foxes, and holes, and foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another man, he tells him that If you're going to follow me, then there's no looking back. You can't go back to take care of your family. In other words, if you decide to follow me, there will be difficulty. There will be discouraging times. But if you should choose to accept this mission to follow me, then you need to be all in. Quitting is not an option as we accomplish the work God has called us to do. And that's what today's passage will address for us. We're going to be in Hebrews chapter 12. If you want to go ahead and turn there in your Bibles, you can. We're going to look at the first three verses of this passage. (coughs) Excuse me. In Hebrews 12, uh, it's all about staying the course. It's about building on the foundations of the past, as well as building up a new foundation for what lies ahead. Look at it with me. Just the first three verses of Hebrews 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles us, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author or the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men, or from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Now the first thing that I want to point out to you from this passage begins with that very first word, Therefore. And as I was always taught, whenever you see the word therefore, you need to ask, what's it there for? In other words, it connects something to what you're talking about right here. In our case, there is a connection between Hebrews 11 to basically us staying the course. Understand that Hebrews 11 is known as the faith chapter, and it takes us through a list of saints from the Old Testament, individuals who exercised incredible faith. And because of that, God chose to bless them. Actually, in chapter 12, what we're looking at is the great cloud of witnesses. That's what we're talking about in chapter 11, is those great cloud of witnesses. Who are they? You have some examples, an individual named Abel. Most of us are familiar with Abel, but we normally would connect him with his brother. It was Cain and Abel. Abel and Cain both offered a sacrifice to the Lord. Abel's sacrifice was pleasing to God. Cain's was not. And as a result, Cain actually takes the life of his brother Abel, but Abel is recognized and celebrated because of the fact that he gave a good offering. In other words, he was honest and sincere before the Lord. There's a guy named Enoch. We don't hear a whole lot about Enoch, but he's incredibly important. In fact, he's one of only two individuals in the Old Testament to have been recorded to not have died. Elijah was one. He's taken up in a whirlwind of fire. Enoch is the one who basically, he was walking and talking with God, and then he simply was no more. It's as if he just skipped death altogether and was ushered right into heaven simply because he was so intimately connected with God. I will tell you, that's the kind of intimacy with God that I want. I want to be able to skip death altogether. Now, some of us may get that opportunity. If the Lord were to come back before we die, we'll all get that opportunity. But that being said, Enoch didn't wait for that. He experienced intimacy in his lifetime. You have Noah. Noah was a man who uh, he preached righteousness and nobody believed him. He preached the judgment of God and nobody believed him. He built a boat and everyone made fun of him. He saved humanity when he and his family alone boarded an ark and were delivered from a great flood. Then you have Abraham. Abraham was a guy who he exercised amazing faith. The fact that he left home and left everything that he knew simply to go to a place that God would show him. And then years later, literally decades later, Abraham was finally blessed with that son that God had promised. And God says, Abraham, I need you to sacrifice your son for me. I'll tell you what, that would be really, really hard to do. But Abraham trusted the Lord. And as he and his son Isaac prepared their journey, Isaac asked his father, where is the sacrifice? And Abraham's response is, God will provide the sacrifice. He got up there and he was fully willing to do what God had told him to do. That is incredible faith, but God provided another way and he spared his son's life. Then, of course, you have Moses. There are several others that are in there. The point is, these are our great cloud of witnesses. When we consider the great cloud of witnesses, there are those in the past, individuals like those that I just mentioned, or maybe there were pastors that have been a part of our great cloud of witnesses. I look around this church. I will tell you, the first Sunday I preached here, it was actually a little bit intimidating, not because of most of you here, because I have preached in front of larger groups and not had any problem. But as I looked out, I began to recognize all of these pastors who I respect and have great appreciation for. It's intimidating until you begin to realize that those pastors have one heart. Their desire is to see people come to Christ. They want me to succeed more than anybody else in here simply because they have invested in the work of Jesus Christ here. And it's almost like passing on the baton to the next guy and I just happen to be the next guy. This church has been so blessed with pastoral leadership for years. And it is an incredible blessing that I get to be a part of that. But let me ask you this, when we talk about your great cloud of witnesses, who are the people? who have been those spiritual role models who have pushed you in the past? Who are those people who have shown you what it is to have faith in Jesus Christ? Maybe it was a pastor. Maybe it was a grandparent. Maybe it was your mom or your dad or maybe it was your spouse. I don't know. Who are the people in your life that have modeled what it is to be a child of God and to put their faith in Christ? They are your great cloud of witnesses. That passage again from Hebrews 12 says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, we have those who have invested in us and they have loved on us. They have shown us what it is to be a child of God. And I will tell you that the best way to honor those individuals is in the way you live your life moving forward. I mentioned parents as a possibility. Consider what the uh, book of Proverbs tells us. It says in Proverbs 10, 1, A wise son makes a father glad, but a foolish son is a grief to his mother. Proverbs 23, verse 24 and 25 says, The father of a righteous child has great joy. A man who fathers a wise son rejoices in him. May your father and mother rejoice. May she who gave you birth be joyful. You have a great cloud of witnesses who has gone through the effort of modeling Christ to you. You live in a way that honors them. In view of God's mercy, or in in view of the great cloud of witnesses, let's throw off all those things that get in our way, all those things that hinder us. Looking back at that great cloud of witnesses can be incredibly valuable to us. Certainly it helps us to understand what it took to get this far, and it ought to give us a pretty good idea of what it will take to go even further. But if we only look back, then we fail to recognize the fact that in the present, that means now, we are also called to be a part of that great cloud of witnesses. As a matter of fact, the rest of the Christian world is counting on us to do so. Think about what that means today. First of all, to other believers. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9 says, But you must be careful so that your freedom does not cause others with a weaker conscience to stumble. It is so important that we live in such a godly way that when others look at our lives, they might actually imitate Christ. They might see in us what it is to be loved by God and see in us what it is to actually love God in return. If we do not lead by example in that, the rest of the world doesn't know what it is to actually walk in his way. One of the most discouraging things for me is when individuals look at my life and they cannot always tell That I am a pastor. I want them to know that I'm a pastor. I don't want it to be because I told them. I want them to see something different in me that makes me stand out, not just as a pastor, but a child of God. Every one of us ought to have that same desire. The last thing we want to do is to become a stumbling block to somebody else. Romans 14, 13 says, therefore, let us not judge one another anymore. You know, I will tell you that sometimes we we catch that first part of the verse there. And you've heard people say, judge not. And it is true. We're not supposed to judge other people, especially those outside of the body of Christ. But listen to the rest of it. But rather determine this, not to put an obstacle or a stumbling block in your brother's way. It's not just about you making sure that that you don't judge people because they might be ungodly, but you guard your life. That's what that's saying. It's easy for us to look at everybody else. It's kind of like the plank in the eye kind of thing where you notice the speck of dust in somebody else's eye, but you can't see the plank that's sticking out of your own eye. What the author here is saying is, stop worrying about everybody else's problem. You make sure that you live in such a godly way that when other people look at you, they will know that Jesus Christ is alive in you. In the present, this matters because there are other believers that are watching us. But it also matters because children watch us. You remember last week I had um, a baby dedication, an incredible opportunity to celebrate a new life that has come to the church but in Matthew chapter 18, we actually see very clear instruction regarding the next generation, the believers that will come after us. It says, but if you cause one of these little ones who trust in me to fall into sin, it would be better for you to have a large millstone tied around your neck and be drowned in the depths of the sea. That's from the New Living Translation. What this is basically saying is this. It is so important that you be that great cloud of witnesses because there are children that they are looking to you to find out what Christianity is all about. Some of you are teachers in school systems. Some of you are parents. Some of you uh, get involved in the community. Whatever it is that you do, whatever role you play around here, there are people that ought to look at you and discover what it means to be a child of God. In this church... I know that we have children, we have teenagers. Sometimes the children are over in the other building, which is where they're at right now. There are teenagers that are in here. I'm going to tell you, you have a great responsibility. They are looking to you. They want to know what it is to be a child of God. What's going to happen is there is going to come a day that they will be the ones who in many ways run the church. If they run it the way you live in front of them, is that a good thing? We are not just trying to protect our children. We are trying to prepare our children so that they are ready to lead in the future. And you are a big part of that taking place. It is incredibly important that you be that great cloud of witnesses. So not only do we have a great cloud of witnesses who have served as models of godliness for us, and they're cheering us on today, but we are also called to be that great cloud of witnesses for those who are on this journey with us or have not yet started this journey. But what does it look like? In fact, the passage clearly defines what it should look like. The first thing it says, uh, as you have this great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders us. Last week, I talked with you about self-control. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 23, it's the last of the fruits of the Spirit that we're supposed to put on. I will tell you that the first thing that we must do is to exercise self-control within our lives. It's hard to do that when we allow certain things to dominate us, whether it be addictions, uh, whether it's drugs or alcohol or gambling or sex or gaming or internet, whatever it is, there's all kinds of things that can be our addiction. For some, it may be food. For some, it may be shopping. There's so many things. Used to be when you think of addictions, you would think of a drug addict. Well, that still fits, but it's not just a drug addict. There are all kinds of things that can become an addiction to us. For some of us, it may not be an addiction, but rather it might be bitterness. Sometimes we allow bitterness to set in in our lives, and it begins to control us. But we're talking about being self-controlled. We're no longer controlled by self. We're no longer controlled by God. But rather, we become controlled by that bitterness and the anger that develops within us. Some of us, it might be gossip. We are controlled sometimes by what other people say, and we want so much to hear what's going on in other people's lives. Or maybe we want to be the one who shares that gossip. We want to be the one that everyone's looking to. You can always count on that person because they always know what's going on. They'll tell you what's going on. That's gossip, and it's unhealthy. It has no place in the body of Christ. Sexual immorality, we looked at last week, sexual immorality comes in so many shapes and forms, it is never appropriate in the body of Christ. It is anything that is designed, it is outside of God's design for sexuality. It's easy to say, well, I didn't have an affair. I just looked at pornography. Still sexual immorality. So many ways we can try to justify things, and that list could go on and on, but self-control has to be the first step. Put off everything that hinders all the things that keep us from being what would honor God. Not just self-control. I actually use the term self-defeat in here. Some of us have such low self-esteems that we no longer recognize how much God loves us. Maybe it's because of what someone said to us when we were young. There, were an, there was an individual who said we were stupid or someone who told us we were ugly. There was someone who betrayed us. And over the years, we have lost the idea that God thinks, I'm beautiful. Did you know that God created every single one of you in his image? That tells me he must think you're pretty awesome. He must think that you are the most beautiful thing in the world. I had an appointment this week at, the, uh, at my kid's school. And I had to go by Michael's classroom. Actually, I didn't have to. This was, uh, it was a special lunch for the special person of the week. And Alyssa invited me to come to her uh, lunch. So I went to it. And afterwards, I thought, let me stop by and see Michael. So as I knocked on the door... Uh, I just kind of peeked my head in, and I had not met one of the teachers. If I did, it's been a, a while. Anyways, I peeked in the door, and one of them recognized me right away. The other one looked at me for a second, and then she looked over at Michael, and immediately she saw the relation. She knew I had to be Michael's dad. First of all, I'll tell you, it made me feel really good. But it also reminds me of the way God feels when He looks at us and He knows that we were created in His image. Do you know how proud He is of you? Do you know how much He loves you? Do you know how much He desires for you to be blessed? You are not some accident, you are not less than perfect in His eyes. You are everything He could have ever wanted. Sometimes our self-defeat comes simply because we do not realize how much our God loves us. It's almost as if we have forgotten that we were created in his image. That God loves us so much that he would send his son to die for us. We've forgotten that he chose to send his spirit to dwell inside us. We must be pretty important people. So why would we allow self-defeat to keep us? From doing what God would have us do. 1 Corinthians 3.16 says, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? So get rid of the baggage that holds you back. Cast it off, anything that hinders you, and it will free you up to run the race with perseverance. Understand that when we talk about perseverance, we're, talking, we're not talking about a sprint. We're not talking about a 50-yard dash or a 40-yard dash, whatever it is now. The point is, it's not a short run. Run with perseverance. It's like running a marathon or a 5K or whatever it is. When I got here, shortly after I got here, Daly mentioned she was going to be running in a 5K. I think it was around Thanksgiving or something like that. And my first thought is, why would you do something like that? I mean, I struggle running up and down the court, much less running a long race. Why would you do something like that? Uh, I will tell you that there is great value in it, but it would be foolish for somebody to choose to go run that race who has not already prepared themselves for that race. 1 Corinthians 9, 24 says, Do you not know that in a race all runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. If you are to win that race, it will require you intentionally making the effort to prepare for that race. Every one of us, if we are children of God, we have been entered into the race already. And if we are going to win the race, we must run with perseverance. Notice one of the things it says there. The race marked out for us. That means you have a specific path you're supposed to run in. And you're not supposed to take any detours. You're not supposed to choose to maybe not run the way you're supposed to. You find another way around it. Run the race that's marked out for you. As you run, there will be times you get tired. There'll be times that you wonder if you're gonna be able to finish the race. What I will tell you is that Christ himself will equip you to finish the race and to win. The passage tells us basically that we should consider Christ who endured such opposition from sinful men so that we will not grow weary and lose heart. The key word there is the phrase there is so that. In other words, If you will consider what Christ has done, you will not grow weary and lose heart. There are times you're going to be tired. There are times that you're going to wonder, man, am I going to be able to finish this race? But if you will look and realize that what Christ went through was far worse than anything I struggle with, what will happen is you will begin to realize, maybe this isn't as hard as I thought it was. Christ has already endured the greatest portion of our race. He is simply asking us to run now with perseverance. Our hardships are typically not as big as we think they are. Maybe what we need to do is stop looking so much at the problem in our life and begin to look at the solution, which is Jesus Christ. I will tell you, this is not necessarily one of those big emotional sermons. It's not one of those where I feel like I need to necessarily open up the altar for you. But I do want you to understand that this is a race, and if we are going to win it, it will require all of us persevering in doing this. You guys know I'm really excited about next week, about us starting the new service. We've talked about the fact that it will make people uncomfortable at times. There will be things that we do along the way that maybe they're not the way we've done it before. Even us meeting at 10 o'clock today causes a little bit of discomfort, because we're used to doing this at 10.30. But that being said, if in doing the things that we're doing, we can reach more people for Christ, it is absolutely worth it. I was doing some reading this week, and one of the books that I was reading, it's a book called Winning on Purpose, uh, written by a guy named John Ed- Edward Kaiser. And uh, he talks about a church that at times wants to balance ministry we want so much to make sure that we're reaching out into the community but we also want to make sure we take care of people inside the church by the way i hope that that happens in this church but my goal is not to do that some of you are already thinking what what, what do you mean pastor When a church sets out to give a 50-50 ministry, 50% to the people in the church, 50% to people outside the church, it never works out that way. The reason is because the people inside the church are the ones who are here, they're the ones who are talking, they're the ones who, they're uncomfortable. And what happens is instead of giving 50% over here and 50% over here, the people inside the church say, yeah, but you got to take care of us. And what happens is those are the needs that are most present. And we begin to take care of those needs and to neglect the needs over here. I will tell you my goal is not for us to be a 50-50 church, but I want us to be a church that is 100% about reaching out to those who are lost. What'll happen is the ministry that happens over here, we'll still take care of ourselves because we still know the needs that are present. That is a natural thing that will take place, but we must be a church that is actually pressing on and persevering to reach those around us who do not know Christ. When we lose sight of that as our vision and our purpose, we are on dangerous ground as a church. We must be in it for the long haul. I want to minister to every one of the needs that are represented in this church. I want to be able to be here with you. I want to be at events that take place in your life. I've already got stuff on the schedule all the way out in November for hospital visits, for individuals who have doctor's appointments and other things like that. I still desire that we meet the needs here within the church. But if we do not stay focused on reaching the lost, what happens is we do not run the race that is marked out for us. We must individually reach to those who are lost. We must individually run that race ourselves, but we must also do that as a church. My question is, will you truly be a part of that? If you would bow your heads and close your eyes on me. Father, as we come before you, we thank you for the ministry of your Holy Spirit. I pray now that you would have your way in us. Thank you for the suffering that you endured so that we might not have to endure it ourselves. I pray now that you would equip us and empower us to truly be your light in this community. Help us as individuals to run the race with perseverance. Not moving to the left or to the right, but continually staying straight ahead, keeping our eyes fixed on you, the author and the perfecter of our faith. Help us as a church to do the exact same thing. Help us not to be concerned with what we want, but rather how we can better serve you. But I pray that you would be honored as we become your instruments. And reaching this community for you. And we'll give you praise, honor, and glory for what you do. In Christ's name we pray, amen. I did have one other thing I wanted to mention. Uh, I was asked to just plug for uh, for Derek. If anyone is interested in serving with the audio and the media stuff, the sound and the video, uh, we would love to have you guys... uh, help us out to be able to serve along with us. Uh, You can see uh, them in the uh, derricks upstairs. And then we're also going to have a brief meeting. Uh, It's a follow-up meeting for anyone who is interested in the children's ministry for the new service. That'll be in the choir room. Oh, I wanted to mention these flowers. I'm sorry. Uh, these flowers were uh, placed here today in memory of Shannon Prophet, if you'll remember. Uh, Shannon passed away a year ago this past week. She was 35 at the time, uh, just had her it sixth child at the time, I believe. Um, and her parents attend our church. They are away today just trying to get a little bit of a, a break. Um, but uh, if you would, continue to pray for, for that family. Bruce and Diane Kelly are their parents uh, you should never have to bury your daughter. Uh, but that's what happened. And they placed these flowers here in, in memory of her. So thank you so much for being with us and go in peace.